James chapter 3, and I'll be reading through verse 12, but I'm going to center the message on the first verse, verse 1. But for us to be able to grasp the uh, setting of what this verse 1 is all about, I want to read through verse 12. So James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt palm yield fresh water. These words here in verse 1 are so very important to me, especially as I stand here before each of you all each week. Listen to these words again from verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. These words bring a special kind of fear into my heart as I read them because they speak a special word of caution directly from God's Holy Spirit to my own, warning me that each time that I stand before you and I preach and I teach these truths, I had better preach and teach them exactly as God has given them within these scriptures because I will surely be judged with a greater strictness. That's what he tells us here. And I must confess to you that I don't know even now after all the many times that I've studied these words, I don't know exactly what God means by his words, a greater strictness. But I do know that there is an ominous tone to the words and that they are a warning, which is enough to keep fear as my watch guard. I can recall when that special fear that I have even right at this moment first came into my heart. It was sometime back in the mid-1980s. 
I'd been a Christian for over 10 years and my family and I had been in the ministry there at French camp for several years when I began to feel this and sense this strong drawing within my spirit towards teaching and preaching God's word. And it was immediately that these words of warning in this verse came to my mind. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. My first response when I sensed this calling to preach and to teach was to draw back, to draw away from it. I knew my own self very well, and I knew that I didn't have the, the traditional training and that all the other preachers that I knew seemed to have. I had never been to a Bible college, and I'd never been to seminary. I had so little knowledge about the deeper things of theology, of doctrine. Now, yes, through my own work and study and for my own benefit and for the benefit of my family, I had been studying the scriptures diligently for many years. But I didn't think myself to have nearly enough knowledge about God to teach him to other people. And so I held back then. And I did that for probably over two years. All the while knowing that God was calling me and urging me on towards teaching and preaching. I don't know if you have experienced such a thing in your life, but it was a sense of drawing that was beyond that which I felt that I could resist. But for those two years, I kept resisting because of this verse. I was too fearful about this responsibility because it says to us, not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I can't recall how exactly this transition took place within my heart and mind to enable me to move on forward and to begin to respond to this calling. But if you'll look carefully at this verse that I've been reading to you, if you look carefully at it, there is an unspoken side to this very stern warning that you and I must consider. And that is, the words say, not many people should become teachers. What is the unspoken part of that verse? It's a clear implication that if some, only some people should teach, then the clear implication is that there are some that should. Not many should be teachers, but some should. And so I'm not sure how that transition in my own heart took place, but still fearful, I knew that I had to obey that call that God was putting on my heart no matter what the result was going to be. And it was at that time that I made this agreement with God that if He called me, then I would go and I would preach and I would teach. And by the way, I'm, I've never been quite sure if we human creatures have the privilege of being able to make an agreement with God. But that's the only way that I knew to express myself to him was that I needed to make an agreement with him. And so I agreed that if he called, I would go and I would preach and I would teach. And it was also a part of that agreement that if I did go and preach and teach, then he, God himself, would need to enable my words because of the rest of these words that I just read to you here in this chapter about how my tongue 
can go astray so very easily. And if I'm standing in this pulpit and it goes astray, he's not going to like that at all. God is not going to be pleased. And so I agreed with God that I would go and I would preach and I would teach, but that he would have to enable my words and he would have to guard my tongue as I gave the message and and the teaching. He would need to be able to enable my understanding from his perspective, enable my words from his perspective, and that he would keep my tongue from going astray. And that's so even today. Each time that I teach and I preach for you all, and even if I am only involving myself in a Bible study, a small group Bible study with other people, I want God to guide my tongue. I ask him each time, Lord, let me say only what you want me to say, no more, but no less. Now, it was also there in the mid-1980s that God led me to a better understanding about his spiritual gifts and how his spiritual gifts are especially given to enable and then to empower people like myself to think and to say things that he called us to think and to say. And I especially became aware of the very big difference between God's spiritual gifts and the natural talents that we're born with. Those talents that we have a propensity to be able to do, but also those that we might learn along the way. And I'd like for you to bear with me for a moment because I do want us to understand the difference between these two talents and spiritual gifts because there are a lot of people who have the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching, but they don't do it. They sit in the pew and they need to be teaching and preaching. But there are also many who are standing in this pulpit that should not be. They're exercising their natural talents because they are good at talking, good at arranging words and convincing people. Natural talents are those things that are really an excellent gift from God. They enable us to do all sorts of the things that we do on a daily basis. And if we do them real well, then we can be very successful at them. That's why you see people who are corporate leaders and they're doctors and they're lawyers and they're teachers and they're engineers and all those other many things and they're excellent at what they do. And those are those talents are gifts from God, just as well as these spiritual gifts. But the talents are used for another purpose. Spiritual gifts are used for the purpose of telling forth the things of God, the messages of God. By the way, some of those best talents that we have that God gives to us are in the forms of housewives and mothers and dads. But again, God has another category of knowledge and understanding and ability that he enables for his own special purposes. The purpose of carrying on forward the special works of his kingdom. In these scriptures, he calls those enabling powers spiritual gifts. And again, they are very different from our natural talents. I spoke to you in an earlier message about these spiritual gifts, but I ask you to please bear with me. I want to present them again because they're so appropriate to what these scriptures here in this chapter of James is all about. There are several of these spiritual gifts, and they're given in 
at least three different places in Scripture, other places, but three in particular. And I really would like for you to make a notice to where these are because you need to know what your spiritual gift is. If you're a child of God, if you are a son of God, you need to know what your spiritual gift is because you have a responsibility to carry it out. And so I'd like to read those for you. They're in 1 Corinthians 12, and they're in Romans chapter 12, and they are in Ephesians 4. And these gifts, these gifts, folks, listen, they come from the Holy Spirit, only from the Holy Spirit, and they are given to believers, only believers, and they are given for special purposes and only to specific people that the Holy Spirit decides to give them to. How do I know that? Scripture tells us that very plainly. And why are they given? The gifts are given specifically for the purpose of carrying out God's plan for His body, the church, the body of believers here on the earth. Let me read for you, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. To each one, and listen to these words carefully, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, their gift, for the common good, which means you must use your gift for the blessings of other people. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy. By the way, prophecy in this context is the telling forth of God's Word. In other words, what is in Scripture telling forth? This is what preachers and evangelists do. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And listen to this next verse, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Just as He wills. Then also over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And this is the purpose. Listen. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." And then over in Romans 12, Romans 12, and this is verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Important words. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. When someone says that you must have a particular one of these gifts or else you cannot be a Christian, that's not true. According to this word of God, 
He gives specific gifts to specific people for specific purposes. And so there's no one gift that you and I must have or else we cannot be a Christian. Please understand that. And if you have difficulty with that thought, please go back to Romans 12 and read these words. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. When I first started learning about these spiritual gifts, there was this sweet lady that was always taking care of the back room, cookies, making sure the kids got extra stuff, whatever they might need, making sure that everything was in its place. That's a spiritual gift, folks. That's a spiritual gift that's talked about here. It's in serving. And another place it talks about the gift of helps. So we should not think one gift better than another. They are all absolutely as important as the other gifts are. They're just done in different ways. So may I say again, as it's clearly given to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to those that He specifically chooses. Verse 11, One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Now, again, each one of us as believers, we're given at least one spiritual gift. And it's obvious that some people have more than one. A leader in a church might have two or three of those because there's a gift here that means administration. He must be able to be an administrator there in his church as well as being a preacher, as well as being a pastor. And so he may have several spiritual gifts. But you and I need to be obedient to His calling and to His equipping with these spiritual gifts. And we need to be able to get on out there with these special gifts and exercise them for the benefit, for the common good, for everybody within the church. I want to emphasize again, these spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. They are supernatural. Supernatural in every way, coming to us with a kind of power that we will never fully comprehend. Power that will cause good and righteous things to take place in other people's souls as we minister our gifts to them. I still marvel daily at the manner in which these spiritual gifts enable a person to do and to say and to think things that they would not otherwise be able to do. Looking back, I know that that was true for me. Before I began to sense this calling that the Lord wanted me to teach and to preach, I was never comfortable as a teacher. I had no natural talent for it. I had done some minor amounts of teaching, but I was never comfortable with it. But as I began to answer God's call to teach and to preach His Word, I quickly realized that something was different from before. I was able to read and to understand the Scriptures better than I had ever done before. And I found that I was able to organize my thoughts and to present the Scriptures in an orderly manner. And it was then that I realized that I could not boast. There was nothing for me to boast in. That these were not my abilities. It was God Himself who was enabling my abilities using His spiritual gifts. In those first days, God was generous to me in 
that he started me off slowly in this new calling. I had a full-time work position there at French Camp, and uh, but at times there would be churches in the local area who knew that French Camp had these men who would come and uh, speak whenever their pastor might be ill or on vacation. So every now and then I'd get a call. And so I started off speaking about once a month or so, and then it became more often. And I was able then to be able to experience this calling that God had put upon my heart and still be able to do my job there at French camp. And again, it was in those beginning days of my occasional speaking at the local churches that I began to realize more and more just how God was enabling these abilities through His gifts. I confess that I am continually surprised, even today, by the changes that have taken place in my life and in my mind and in my soul. And folks, listen, I know very well that I am not learned enough to know the things that I know, to say the things that I say to you each week. I surprise myself. I mentioned to you that I record these messages and then I put them out on the website. I go back and I listen to them and I wonder, I did not think of those things. Did I say those words? I love this thing that God does with us through His spiritual gifts, through His Holy Spirit. And also I came to realize that God's plan for the calling and the sending is comprehensive in that He matched my preaching and my teaching with particular people, people who could learn from me. In other words, not everyone can listen to me and learn from me. God has called and equipped other preachers for those people. That's a wonderful thought. He is that omniscient, that loving and kind. God's guiding hand is in everything that we think and say and do. And we can only recognize it, though, when we surrender to His Holy Spirit. Now, may I give an additional word of caution about those whom God has called to teach and to preach. As we read these scriptures, the Old and the New Testament prophets, each of them giving God's word diligently to all that they were assigned to, the prophets would preface or at least say with their prophecy, thus saith the Lord. It was a common expression that they would use as they would give the prophecy that God had given to them. But I came to realize that whether or not I had said those words, thus saith the Lord, each time that I presented God in my capacity as a teacher or as a preacher, every time I stand in this pulpit, those words, thus saith the Lord, are implied. Every time that I teach a Sunday school class, every time that I involve myself in a Bible study with other people, the implied authority and accuracy and truthfulness of everything that I say is, thus saith the Lord. And I had better have that right. I had better have that right or else I'm stepping on the wrong toes. And so I have to be very careful to know that I'm representing Him in everything that I say to you and everything that I say to other people about the Lord. I'm continually reminded of this verse that we're studying here today. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged 
with greater strictness. Now may I go a step further. As for myself, even as one of you might privately seek my counsel, ask a question about a particular scripture, these words still apply. These words still apply. In my capacity as a pastor, as a teacher, as a preacher of God's word, I must always be careful to respond with the authority of, thus saith the Lord. And may I also pass a warning on to you. As you and a family member, or you and a friend, find yourself discussing one of the matters of Scripture. You also need to be careful. You need to always be ready to give them the biblical truth that's found in our Scriptures. The Apostle Paul gives this warning to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says, verse 15, chapter 2, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Listen, rightly dividing the word of truth. As you find yourself uttering the words, well, I believe this, or I believe that, you must understand that you need to be careful not to just simply give your opinion about what you believe. Because it does not really count what you believe unless what you believe is coming from these scriptures. We each need to be very careful because we're going to be held accountable for every word that we say. Scripture tells us that. Now one more thought about this verse. Let me say it again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In some senses, listen, in some senses, you and I are always teachers. As parents, as grandparents, every moment is a teaching moment with our children, with our grandchildren, whether we're uttering words or we're just exhibiting behavior. We are teaching them. We are teaching them. Too often we forget that little eyes and little ears are attuned to our words and behaviors. And we are teaching them things that we might never have intended. We must always be careful. Now one final thought on this, these words. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. May I encourage you as you would read and study those words. God may have given you the spiritual gift of teaching. If he has, he surely intends for you to use it. It may be a small group Bible study that you're involved in or some other opportunity like that, but you need to search your heart and determine which of these spiritual gifts that God has given to you. And if you have this gift of teaching, you must go and do it. And you must do it diligently. And if you do, God will be pleased. Listen to these words as I close. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray.